from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let earth and heavenly saints proclaim the power and might of his great name let us exalt on bended knee praise god Preston Crest. Oh, we can do better than that, can't we, John Scott? This, this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So let's try that one more time. Good morning, Preston Crest. Good morning. We're glad to see you here. I'm Mike Pipkin, one of, our, one of the elders here at Preston Crest. If you are uh, one of our members, we ask that you take this opportunity to let, let us know that you're here by texting the word uh, check-in to the number that you see on the screen. If you are joining us virtually, you can do the same thing. There's actually a box for you to check that says virtual, and so that we'll know whether you are here in person with us or you're joining us virtually. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. I hope we were able to take the opportunity uh, to uh, be part of one of our Bible classes, whether it was one of our adult Bible classes, whether if uh, the kids are in youth group, they were with youth group, young adults with Discover Young Adults across the street, or fabulous children's ministry. We're just glad all of you are here. If you are visiting with us, we would ask that uh, before you leave, that you stop by the information center, uh, just straight out the back doors, and we've got a special gift for you there. We're just glad that you are here with us today. Um, we, would, we do want to take the opportunity. Let's do two things. First of all, uh, to bring your attention to some great, uh, great work that was done by our seventh and eighth graders this last week. Uh, Brian Borden and uh, Aaron Fari, Kelly Wilkinson, our, our interns, set up a great program this week for the seventh and eighth graders. It's called Serve Strong. They actually stay together in members' homes. 
They work together on various service opportunities all across the city. And then on uh, Monday night, the elders and ministers were able to enjoy a dinner that was prepared, that, uh, prepared and served by them. Uh, it was just a great week of fellowship and service for our seventh and eighth graders uh, as, they, as they work together. Some of them are brand new to the youth group. Uh, the seventh graders are just promoting into seventh grade, so this is a great opportunity for them to work together. We're just glad for that. We're glad for all the work that was done to make it a great week for them. Uh, speaking of our children's ministry, I do have an announcement. Uh, for the last nine years, Anna Scheidel has poured her heart into our children's ministry and has blessed our children. Uh, this is going to be her last Sunday to serve as one of our children's ministry coordinators. If you don't know Anna, she's on the back row. That's where she typically sits because she'll get up in the middle of service to head out and help with children's church. That's what she's been doing for the last nine years in a, in a staff role here at Preston Crest. Uh, she's about to begin her new journey as a full-time teacher at Prestonwood Christian Academy. Uh, we are thrilled, of course, that uh, Anna and Carl and Carl Michael and Heidi and Hagen are going to continue to be a part of our, our congregation here at Preston Crest and that Anna is going to continue to work as a volunteer. Uh, we're just so thankful for her talents and her willingness, really the entire Gashido family, to support the children's ministry. So we're thankful for that. Let's show our appreciation to Anna for her years of service. She's been a great part of the children's ministry team led by Rebecca Sutton, assisted by Lisa Pipkin, uh, Nicole Brantley, and Stephanie Ombi. Uh, Rebecca's working very hard, so be in prayer uh, to find somebody as capable uh, to replace Anna as, as what we've had over the last nine years. Uh, as we now uh, turn to our time in worship, let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we are so thankful to be here today, to be in a, in a building that's air-conditioned on such a hot day. What a blessing it is to be able to gather together in comfort because there are so many that can't do that. Lord, we ask your blessing on those that are out in this heat. We ask that you send rain because we need rain here in North Texas. Lord, we are so blessed to be a part of a community of believers that's not only right here in this building, but all across the world. That's because of your perfect plan, Lord, and we are so thankful for that. Lord, we are here today because of the good news. And that good news is the gospel. The gospel about your son, Jesus, that was foretold for generation upon generation throughout the Old Testament that led to Jesus, that pointed to him, to the message that he brought to his apostles, to his disciples, and to all that would follow him, for the life that he lived, for the example that he set, for his sacrifice for all of us, and for his resurrection. Lord, that's the good news that we are here to celebrate today. We are thankful for that good news, but Lord, this is a, a lost and fallen world. And we are called to be your hands and your feet. We are called to be vessels 
of yours, for the light that shines within us, that spirit that you have given us that's working through us, Lord, we need to be in this world. We need to be your hands and your feet. We need to show your love through all we come in contact with, Lord. Bless us with the confidence to be able to share the good news about Jesus with everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, bless us as we continue this time in worship this morning. Bless us as we lift our voices in song. Bless Gordon as he brings another powerful message about the good news of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On. There we go. Hey, let's stand. Let's sing this morning. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now born above. Hallelujah, glory. Hallelujah, Hallelujah,
going to sing one more song and then Cooper's going to come and lead us. You know, I asked Carrie Fitzgerald if he would uh, lead our communion thoughts this, this week and Carrie said, yeah, man, I'd love to. Texted me a day or two ago and said, man, I woke up not feeling good. Would it be okay if my son Cooper led it? I said, absolutely. What I didn't tell your dad is that I, I would prefer you to do it anyway. So I'm glad, I'm glad Cooper's stepping in for his dad. Let's, uh, we're, we're going to sing this one song as we prepare for communion. Lord, I
Hello, uh, my name's Cooper Fitzgerald, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, last week, our preacher Gordon, he, at the beginning of his sermon, he talked about a general who, you know, he was all great on the outside, he was famous, he was rich, uh, he was known all throughout the world, he was strong, but behind the curtains, behind his closed door, he had struggled with leprosy, sorry. And that kind of just hit me, you know. There's people all the time who we may look up to. We see they're strong on the outside. They look great. We admire them. But behind closed doors, what, what we don't see, they struggle a lot. They struggle as much as me and you. I mean, there's just so much that we don't know that goes on about a person. There's a verse I wanted to read to you. I'd found, and I read it to myself every night now. It's in Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It goes on to list some sins. After this, it says, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these. It goes on again to list some sins. And it says, You have taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. And I mean, that verse just hits. Like, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what sins you struggle with behind those closed doors, no matter what you do, your Lord will always love you. I have a journal over there that I wrote down some notes to talk about today, and there's one thing. I wrote it, all big letters, circled it, and it was, they don't define you. No matter what sins you've committed, they don't define you. You're still you. You're still loved by God. You got to throw off your old self, whatever practices, whatever sins you've committed, and when you take this communion, you're renewing your promise to God that you're his and you're loved by him. So please bow with me. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for giving us this blessing of coming to be, to be together in this congregation. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, that all our sins would be forgiven and we aren't defined by them. Thank you for being with each and every one of us and loving us individually. And just thank you for giving us this blessing of being forgiven for our mistakes. Amen. So teach my soul to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I get
again for letting us come together today. Thank you for giving us a new life in Christ. Thank you for letting us throw off our old practices, our old ways, our old selves, and just know that we are washed anew. Thank you for sending your son to die for us for our sins. Thank you for loving us so unconditionally. I pray that you're with all your sons and daughters and just with them behind those closed doors, letting them know they aren't alone. Just be with them always, please, Lord. Thank you for being with us always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Preston Crest. Glad that you're here. If you're part of the family here at Preston Crest or you're just visiting, we're glad that you are here. If you want to give this morning, there are several ways you can do that. Thank you, Cooper, by the way. Thank you so much. Good to have our minds put in the right place around Jesus. If you want to give, you can put it in the box, money in the box out in the foyer. You can go to the website. You can go through church teams. So many ministries. And I'm going to remember, uh, because we've got a video coming up this morning, our our young couples ministry, which has been such a great part of Preston Crest for so long. So let's pray 
God, we love our young couples here. I'm so glad that you blessed us with so many of them over the years and pray that you will continue to grow that ministry. God, I'm thankful today also for our young people and how they showed us the way this week with Serve Strong, getting out in our community in this mission field here of Dallas-Fort Worth and helping our neighbors. Um, just bless the ministries of this church. We know that we are totally dependent on you to resource us with time and health and talent and money to do any good work that we do. And we know that we only do those good works because you have called us in Christ to do those. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Preston Crest. I'm Josiah Baker. And I'm Becky Baker, and we are part of the Young Couples Ministry here at Preston Crest. This ministry has been a special part of Preston Crest for many years, and it welcomes all seriously dating, engaged, and newly married couples. Our focus is to grow in our relationships with God and each other as we study God's Word. We strive to encourage one another as we walk through the unique joys and challenges of this season of life together. We're so grateful for how it has blessed us and our marriage and are excited to see how it continues to grow and work in the lives of many more young couples. Thank you, Preston Crest, for your support of this ministry. You remember when we were young, a young couple? Mike, you remember when we were a young couple now? Look at us now. Now, this, this church, for some reason, well, I know the reason, has been just so attractive to young couples for 30-plus years. And so many of those couples stay here, get married here, raise their kids here. And I'll tell you what, God is just blessing us. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We'll sing one more, and then Gordon's going to come back up and share with us. Holy Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, John Scott. Yeah, I don't know if you heard the news. Uh, everybody's talking about it probably this morning in churches all around America. They're talking about it, celebrating. Uh, but Jesus, the good news, he died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And through him, we have hope for this life and hope beyond the grave as well. And that's the news I proclaim here every Sunday, and if you're looking for me to talk about other news stories or items, uh, that's not what I've been called to do. I will proclaim the gospel. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there are a couple of phrases, kind of inspirational phrases that are going around these days. One of them is, live your best life. Uh, by the way, I met someone, Mike, this morning who out in our lobby who lives in the Virgin Islands and maybe kind of living his best life. I don't know. Probably in the auditorium right now. Live your best life. Another phrase is be the best version of yourself. I don't always love what pop culture has to say, but I have to say both of those ideas, they kind of capture me a little bit. I think there is some gospel in both of those ideas I believe those are biblical ideas. God wants for us to live our best lives. Certainly, Jesus wants for you to be the best version of yourself. And really, in some one-of-a-kind ways, Jesus has resourced us to live our best lives. Jesus and only Jesus, like I talked about, sacrificed himself for us so that our sins would be forgiven. That, you know, he did what no one else could do, has done, which has allowed us to have a fresh start. Press the reset button on life. Um, be a new creation. Or as he told Nicodemus, be born again. Only Jesus can do that. And beyond that fresh start, think about living your best life. He provided us, and this blows my mind just as much as the first, with his spirit. The spirit of God because of Jesus lives in us, encourages us, helps us, teaches us, sometimes confronts us, um, and helps us move more and more into this, this best life. You know, and I'm grateful for Jesus to Jesus for all of that. But the number one reason that Jesus is uniquely qualified to talk about living your best life is he is the one human in history who actually pulled it off. I mean, he pulled it off. Jesus was, well, I mean, perfect. Jesus was sinless. I'm not, you're not, no one else to ever live has been, only Jesus. So he lived his best life. And not only did Jesus just not do bad stuff, yeah, he did not sin, he did not mess up, he did not hate. Jesus did all of the right stuff. Jesus loved people like no one has ever loved people. He loved his neighbor as himself. He loved his enemies. And of course, Jesus loved God the Father with all of his heart. And so he comes along and he tells us, his followers, this is why I'm here. I'm here to help you live that life that God has for you. John 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they, that would be us, may have life and have it to the full. 
So, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' great sermon, his first sermon, really a foundation for many of the other teachings we have of Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew 5 through 7, he is going to introduce us to this best life. He's going to help us live like never before. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus, he went up on the mountain... And when he sat down, that's how rabbis taught. They would sit down to teach. We kind of do the reverse these days. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's been 13 years and change for me since I stood in this pulpit for the very first time. The brand new preaching minister of the Preston Crest Church of Christ. And the text that I preached on that day back at the beginning of 09 was this one. This foundational text has been changing people's lives and outlooks for 2,000 years. And at this earth is still spinning in another 2,000 years, it will still be changing lives. So here's a picture I've got. This is considered by many to be the location where Jesus taught this message or preached this message, the Sermon on the Mount. It is just outside of Capernaum. In fact, you could walk here, if you take the road, the paved road, take an hour and a half, so. But if you cut across, probably take 30, 35 minutes just to walk over there from this fishing village where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And you can imagine why this would be a good spot to teach. Um, he could be elevated and, and talk to a large amount of people at the same time. Um, and so he opens his, I like that phrase from Matthew. He opened his mouth and taught them. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what teachers do. You got to open your mouth, right? Um, but only Jesus was teaching all the time, even when he didn't open his mouth, right? The way Jesus treated outsiders, the way Jesus loved on sinners, uh, the way Jesus healed the sick, the way Jesus walked on water, the way Jesus took a child's lunch and turned it into a feast for thousands. He was always teaching. Sometimes, like on this occasion, he opened his mouth and used words to teach. And then we've got these opening statements, the Beatitudes, they're called. And these opening statements... They are designed, they are orchestrated to, to shock, to grab our attention, to show this upside-down kingdom that is so different from the kingdoms of men that we see around us. Where the kingdom of God reigns, the happy ones, those are the poor in spirit. That word, blessed, could be translated just as easily as happy. Maybe your translation has happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. That kingdom, God's kingdom, is where happy, think about this, happy are those who mourn. Why? They'll be comforted. Happy, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A couple of years back, 
Um, Isla and I went over to Lake Highlands to the home of some friends for dinner one night. They had these three boys, very active boys. And we walked in, we got swamped by the boys and had a good time hugging them and horsing around with them a little bit. And uh, went into the living room and there was this display, uh, I think three shelves of trophies and medals and some like, like certificates on the wall for Taekwondo. Taekwondo. All of them earned by the oldest boy. So I kind of made a middle note. Don't mess with that one, you know. Uh, don't want to get in a fight with him. After a couple of minutes of ooing and all, like, wow, look at all that. And they went back to their rooms to play. Time for the adults to talk. And, and the mom leans in to me and Isla and she said, yeah, don't be too impressed. All the kids get a trophy at the Taekwondo tournament. They want the kids to feel good about themselves. No matter how good you do or how bad you do, you're going to get a medal or a trophy or a certificate. And I just kind of, yeah, nodded in understanding. She was kind of rolling her eyes a little bit. And I was like, you know, here in our country these days, we have made it a priority to build self-esteem, maybe not on Twitter so much, but in a lot of places, we want to build, we want to build self-confidence. We want those kids to feel great about themselves, and whatever we're doing uh, is kind of working. I saw that this week in the 50s. There was a research done about what percentage of kids in the 19, high school kids in the 1950s felt like they were, quote, a very important person. 12, 12%. 1950s. You think that number's gone up? You would be right. It's over 80% now of high schoolers feel like they are a very important person. So it's working. We're getting people to feel really good about themselves. Self-confidence is being cultivated left and right. And some have said that we have actually created a generation of praise addicts. You need to always tell me how pretty I look, how smart I am, how good I am at basketball or whatever. I guess you could say there's a real focus these days on creating people who are rich in spirit, who feel pretty great about themselves. This week I got on Amazon, was looking at the top-selling self-help books, and I came up with a giant list. I'll just share two or three titles. So here's one of the titles right now that's really selling on Amazon. I love this one. How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness. (laughs) Yeah. How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness. And then this one, I just, I, I picked this one out because, man, you talk about a phrase of our day. Here's one. You be you. Okay. And then one, uh, this one, this is a title, but there were a lot of titles that were a lot like this. How to Build Confidence and Win at Life. And there is probably some good stuff in those books. I haven't read them. Probably some good stuff. But I will say this. Jesus, in his famous epic Sermon on the Mount, has a very different starting point for greatness. The reference point is not me. It's not you. He says that the starting point for living your best life, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
That's where it all begins. The kingdom of heaven, it's where you're going to find the poor in spirit. People who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. People who know that they don't come into the presence of God with bargaining chips, with leverage. They know that God is impressed, uh, unimpressed, sorry, by the very best things they've ever done in their lives. People who know that, you know, I got nothing, Jesus. I'm coming with nothing. Yeah, Jesus didn't exactly start his Sermon on the Mount with how to stop doubting your greatness, did he? So live your best life. Jesus claims that living your best life does not start with what you do or how you look or how much you make. It starts with who you are deep inside. Your, it starts with your spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when you start there, when you start with what's on the inside, then you're ready to build a strong foundation and a great life. I've quoted her before. I will quote her probably again in a couple of years. Evelyn Underhill wrote, <laughs> we mostly spend, and think about it, is this true or not? We mostly spend our lives conjugating three verbs, to want, to have, and to do. Craving, clutching, and fussing on the material, the political, the social, the emotional, the intellectual, even on a religious plane, we are kept in perpetual unrest, forgetting that none of these verbs have any ultimate significance except so far as they are transcended by and included in the fundamental verb to be. And that being, being, not wanting, not having, not doing, being is the essence of the spiritual life. To be, Jesus says, to be poor in spirit, the starting blocks for a kingdom life. So Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, Jesus will get around to lots of practical things about how you talk to people, about being salt and light, you know, influencing the world. He's going to talk about our behaviors. He's going to talk about dealing with sin. He's even going to give a lesson on how to pray. So a lot of practical stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. But it starts with knowing who you are and poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, it's coming to God and knowing he's the creator. Literally, and that word literally gets misused all the time, but in this case, literally, you don't exist without God. None of us is here without God. And beyond that, even our, our being alive today, we are constantly sustained by God. The air we breathe, the food we eat, it is all tied to God. And so Paul, one time, he's standing on this mountain, the Areopagus in Athens, and he preaches to the Athens Philosophical Society. And he says in Acts chapter 17, in him, we live, we move, 
And here's that verb. And we have our being, our very existence. So those who live from this place of of poverty of spirit, they're the happy ones. They're the blessed ones, Jesus says, because they recognize, they see that there is no life apart from God. They know that the gospel has set them free from having to somehow earn God's favor, which they could never do. And so they enjoy his favor and his love because of his grace. More than that, and we'll get to this in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will teach us that we are adopted into his family, into God's family. Like he says, pray our Father which art in heaven. Our identity is tied to him. So being poor in spirit, why does that matter? Like, I mean, the potential for growth in my life, the potential for future accomplishment, it is unleashed according to Jesus, when I tear up my membership of the self-admiration club. I need to get rid of that. My best life becomes, for the first time, a possibility when I recognize I'm spiritually bankrupt, totally dependent on God. What a blessing, he says. Verse 3, what a blessing to know that the kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. What a blessing, he says in verse 4, that those who mourn know that they're going to be comforted by God. And what a blessing to know. This is another one of those reversals, upside down things, to know that the meek are going to come out on top. They will inherit the earth. Not the go-getters, not the triumphalists, not the quote-unquote winners of life. The meek will inherit the earth. What is it to be meek? Meekness is power under control. It is bridled power. And for us as believers, set free by the knowledge of God's grace and fueled by his spirit, we live in this new potential because we live under new management. We live as citizens of the kingdom. We live as followers of our Lord, our King Jesus our Savior. And so we start there. Great stories, by the way, whether it's on Netflix or at the movie theater, great stories have, have heroes and villains, bad guys and good guys. And Jesus told a lot of stories, and he had heroes and villains in a lot of these stories. One of them in Luke chapter 18, it's a story about the kind of person that God can really use, the kind of person that pleases God. And it is an interesting story. Because we've got two characters in the story. One of them is a Pharisee. Now, you guys have probably come to church some. Maybe you haven't. If you've gone to church, oh, Pharisee, that's a bad guy. No, that's not what they heard in the first century. They heard Pharisee, good guy. Pharisee knows the Bible better than anybody else. Pharisee is at the temple every time the doors are open. Pharisee is a tither. A Pharisee is, yeah, wearing a white hat, riding a white horse, one of the good ones. So there's that guy, and then there's another guy, a tax collector. I don't even think I need to give you historical context. Nobody likes tax collectors now. Nobody liked tax collectors then. 
They're taking my money. So we got a slime ball and we got a good guy. And just as we think we got figured out, a hero and a villain, Jesus goes, nope, <laughs> not so fast. And he told this story. I like how Luke sets it up. Luke says he told this story to some who, Luke 18, 9, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Mm. So these two guys do something spiritual. They go to the temple for prayer. Um, anyway, the Pharisee, this is, this is, by the way, Jesus definitely had a sense of humor. This is a funny story. So the Pharisee, I have a feeling there were some giggles as he's telling the story because they had seen this guy, versions of this guy before the audience. This Pharisee goes up to the temple and he is loud and he's dressed in all of his Sunday best or Sabbath day best and he starts praying to himself. Not praying to God. He's praying to himself. And he starts praising and worshiping the man in the mirror. Oh, God, thank you for how good I am. He says, God, you know I fast not once a week. I bet you guys, I bet you guys don't even fast once a week. He fasted twice a week. He says, you know that I tithe. I give a tenth of everything I get. I am so amazing, God. No self-esteem problem here, you know? And then he starts naming other people. Let's see. He names, verse 11, he, he says, I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm not like the lowlifes. Like he says, the extortionist, the adulterer, and then he does it. He glances over at that poor tax collector. I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. I'm so glad I'm one of the good guys. And the second fellow, the tax collector. Man, he had a different prayer. <laughs> um, he starts praying. Verse 13 and 14, the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but just beat his breast. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus summarizes, I tell you, that man went down to his house right, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the tax collector, this poor in spirit fellow who's bankrupt, who's, who's crying, he, I'm nobody, I'm a sinner, God. He goes home right. And God exalts him. I love the story. Practically speaking, what does this matter, though? I mean, poor in spirit, it sounds so theoretical, you know, like interesting idea to kind of play around with. But I mean, let's, let's get practical here. You know, self-help books tend to give you five ways to feel better about yourself or ten ways to be a more successful person. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, how do I make that helpful? How's that relevant? Well, I would ask a question. 
And I'll tell, I'll tell a story. Let's say, let's say you are going to build your dream home. It has to start with the right piece of property. I mean, you, you got to put that dream home in the right spot. So you buy this parcel of land. Unfortunately, on the parcel of land, there is an existing structure full of, of structural flaws. It's a wreck, rotten timbers. The foundation is worthless. What do you do? Happens all the time, all around our fair city. Demolition. Before the builders show up, the bulldozer shows up. Before the hammer shows up, the sledgehammer shows up. And probably you're even going to just end up scraping that lot clean and putting in, for sure, a fresh foundation. You see where I'm going with this. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to come to the great architect and builder of lives, Jesus, and say, yeah, let's basically leave this intact, you know? Just a little touch-up paint here, maybe a fresh floor over here, maybe a little updating in my marriage, and I'm good. That doesn't make sense. The poor in spirit are blessed Theirs is the kingdom of heaven because they come and they say, Jesus, I have nothing. I have no idea how you're going to work with this, right? I need to be born again. Or as Paul will say, I need to become a new creation. This isn't a remodel. I need to move my life under new management so that I can be my best self. I'll finish up a couple quick stories because we're talking, how does this flesh out? How, does this, how is this relevant? I, I think about a guy, Isla knows him very well. Uh, Jim is his name. He's an elder. Well, not, I don't know that he is now. He's been an elder. He's been church administrator. He's worn different hats. He was an army general, so he retired. And in his home, he's got all sorts of neat relics from Vietnam and his service in the army. And just this great man. And when I think of Jim, though, I don't think of him leading troops into battle or anything like that. When I picture Jim... I picture the aftermath of a church potluck or event or VBS because I have seen him so many times when everyone else goes home, he's the guy pushing the vacuum back and forth, scraping crud off the carpet. He is the guy hauling the garbage out to the dumpster and I would say more than any of his military achievement or academic achievement, that's where he's living his best life. A servant of Jesus who's not worried about what people think or impressing or gaining applause, just loving on people made in the image of God, serving the church. A couple of weeks ago, it was here at Preston Crest that a lot of you guys got to witness. And this is not an extraordinary or strange happening. It's pretty normal around here. But you got to see two of our elders with a bunch of third graders.
spending their entire week with these 24 third graders, I would say they're living their best life. And a lot of you were serving and helping. But it just shows you how the kingdom of heaven operates when the shepherds, the elders, the leaders of the church, they're the ones hanging out with the little guys, singing songs, drinking Kool-Aid, eating snacks, playing games. That's how it works in the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They come to God with, with nothing. A little bit of faith, a willing spirit. They just want more of him. They want to live their best lives in Christ. So what about you? Are you one of these people? Are you one of the poor in spirit? Do you recognize your need, not for a quick remodel, but for a full life-building project with Jesus as the general contractor? And while we've done nothing to merit our salvation, to earn our salvation, while it is an act of grace, it is a gift of God, it's not like your salvation is, is an unearned trophy sitting on a shelf somewhere, right? There is nothing, believer, that you possess, nothing that is more earned Nothing that cost more blood, sweat, and tears than that salvation that you possess. Amen? It's just that you didn't earn it. And it's interesting, really. Though I didn't earn it, how could I appreciate it and value it anymore? God's Son died for me, to redeem me, and to call me to this better way of living. And this morning, if you want to put on Christ, if you want to confess your faith in him, repent of your sins, turn around, move your life under new management, you can do that today. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus today. Uh, If you just need prayers, prayers of celebration, prayers to help you get through a tough week that's coming up, Uh, We'd invite you to pray with me or Mike or someone else around you. Our God loves us so much. Think of all he's done for us. So let's reach out to him in prayer. And right now, let's stand and reach out to him in praise as we sing. Praise God. Praise God.
Thank you, Gordon, as he makes his way out to the foyer for a great lesson. I, it's occurred to me many times, the more time we spend on the Sermon on the Mount, the better. The better for all of us. It's, it is the core and fundamental message of the gospel uh, that we all uh, can rely upon. Lord, uh, we're just so thankful for that. Uh, we ask that you join us again tonight as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Jacob Hawk will be bringing our lesson this morning. also want to remind you that next week uh, on Sunday night, we're going to be having a special time of fellowship and worship. Uh, we will. I'm certain it's going to be hot enough for, for us to enjoy snow cones, notwithstanding the fact that we're going to a cold front coming through in the next 24 hours. Cold front, I put in quotes. It'll still be hot, and we'll enjoy snow cones. We're going to do it inside. We won't do it outside. Snow cones and fellowship and worship. Join us for that next Sunday night. Uh, read this take-home verse with me together from James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Go in peace. <laughs>